0: to a very exciting episode of Whisper in the Wings. Joining us today, we have playwright William Muir, who is currently working on a new project entitled The Untitled Oz Oz Project. William, (laughs) welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper.
1: Hello. It is so lovely to be here on this Monday morning. We're calling it morning. It's theater morning.
0: It's theater morning. Absolutely. Anything before 2 p.m. is theater morning. Absolutely. Uh, I, I'm so excited that you're here and that you're talking to us about this. You are, uh, as I mentioned before, when you we were speaking, you're the first playwright we've had who is in process. So this work is not quite complete. It's still you're still tinkering and, and, and whatnot with it. Um, so we're kind of getting the first insight into it. Um, So why don't we start by having you tell us a little bit
1: about the show? Totally. So like you said, it's still very early process. Like I don't even have a title for it. I've just been calling it the Untitled Oz Project. And so basically the show in a nutshell is sort of a biographical piece I'm working on, looking back on my life as a closeted person with, somewhere on the neurodivergent spectrum, just kind of looking back on my life through the lens of one of my first hyperfixations, which was the Wizard of Oz.
0: Hmm.
1: So just kind of using that to kind of just like piece through my journey of like coming out of the closet and also just kind of learning to exist with whatever's going on in my brain.
0: That's so cool. So this is definitely a personal journey then for you that you're inviting us into?
1: Oh, very.
0: How did you come up with the idea of the show? Like what inspired you to, to put this story on paper?
1: Uh, well, so I've been writing for a little bit. Like I'd been writing what since I was in college. And before I started working on this, I had kind of just felt like I was stuck in a box of just writing the same thing over and over again. Like. I have a joke of a friend of mine. I was telling them I was working on something new and they said, don't tell me, it's sad and gay. And they were correct. But yeah, so I was trying to write all these things that were just like outside of my own lived experience. And I'm part of a writer's group that's all people who've graduated from my university. And we meet up every couple of weeks and I was bringing it in and like, it was just not good. It wasn't connected. It was just going into very weird places. And the woman who runs our writers group, she was, she really got on my back and I'm grateful she did to really sit down and just write my own experiences and to like just really take a minute and sit with that. And I had written about my experience as a queer person multiple times, but the neurodivergent thing, which for anyone who's listening who doesn't know what I'm talking about, neurodivergency is just, a term for people who have like neurological things. It's mostly like ADHD, autism, those sorts of things. And I'd been kind of terrified to talk about it before, just because I had had this stigma growing up about like, people who were on the spectrum. And so it was just like, one of those things where I was like, I didn't want to talk about it because of that. And also, I still at the moment don't have a proper diagnosis. I'm in the process of getting one for autism. But Again, we don't know really what's rattling on upstairs. But yeah, it was just one of those things where it's like, you know what? Let's just sit. We'll do it. Actually, I had recently seen A Strange Loop, and there was one line that really kind of just hit me in the gut where it was "Um, If you're not afraid to write about something, it's probably not worth writing. Yes. So I was like, like, okay, let's take the journey, let's embrace the discomfort. And yeah, just really dissect it. And I think using the Wizard of Oz kind of helped soften the harder edges of it a little bit. And so, yeah, that's just, it's really just right now a time to just explore and see, like, really sit with myself and be like, okay, this is my story. Let's just kind of work around that or just, like, figure out how to tell this. It's wonderful.
0: I also, I mean, building on that that quote you you mentioned from strange loop, i've I've always, as a personal mantra, i i I've taken from I don't remember who said it to me, but um if what you're doing doesn't scare you just a little bit, then it's not worth doing. You know, you should never feel comfortable in doing something that is important to you because that means that it's not you're not moving forward with it, you know, and uh, and I love that because you. It, it's it's the fear of not knowing what's next. That's That means you're moving in the right direction. It's the newness of it.
1: Yeah, I got very lucky. Like my writer's group, since I brought this piece in, have been nothing but wonderful and like really creating like a very good environment for me to kind of share this. Like even the other week, like we just stopped and like we had this probably like 10 minute tangent on just what was like neurodivergency and secondhand embarrassment and things like that. And I'm like, wow, this is, this is lovely to have this conversation and open it up. And that's kind of what theater is meant to do in the beginning is like, I kind of strive as a writer to kind of spark those conversations. So it was like, okay, we're, we're doing the right thing. This is the step in the right direction that we're doing this.
0: Yeah. So what was it like developing this piece?
1: Well, it was definitely like a lot of moments where it's just like, Again, you just kind of have to sit in the discomfort and plow through it. Like, I always – it is the most crass term, but I always say I can go back and polish a turd. So just kind of just like, okay, let's get the ugly stuff out now. We can go polish it later because otherwise if I sit too long and try to make it perfect, I'm never going to finish it. So it's just really been – yeah, like, it's one thing to kind of sit and process those feelings of like – because I – for the listeners – it isn't necessarily the most happy story in my life. So it's like, it's one thing to process your trauma as an individual, just going through your life. It's another thing to try to process trauma through an artistic lens. So it's kind of been a mix of like, how do I tell my story as a creative person? And also how do I sit with it as a human? Like this piece has kind of been therapeutic in a way because it allows me to process my trauma in a different lens than I've really thought about it before. Like it allows me to make something beautiful out of something that for a long time was not.
0: I like that you, you bring up the the power of art to be a therapy, to to allow us to heal or, or to, to process things. That's a lot of times. I feel like a lot of people look at theater as a way to, I mean, obviously entertain or to make, to, to, to make people think, or to challenge someone's opinion, but I don't think they ever look at theater as a way to heal or to, you know, I, I mean, I, I have no other word but to process, you know, to relate to and go, oh my gosh, yes, that's exactly what I'm going through. Oh, and that's how that person dealt with it. Maybe I should try that. You know, it is a human experience. Theater is a human experience, it's humanity. So I love that humanly. So building on that, is there a message or a thought right now that you're hoping that uh, an audience who sees the show would take away from, take, a, take away
1: from it? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I feel like I really just want people to come into this and maybe shift their idea of like what living with neurodivergency or even being queer is. Like hell, if someone leaves the theater and knows, now knows the term neurodivergent, I feel like I've done something. Because, like, a lot of the – I guess one of the other reasons I felt kind of uncomfortable sharing my experience as someone potentially on the autism spectrum is a lot of the pieces I had seen before, like, not necessarily were bad, but it was just – it was so focused on kind of, like, this almost alienating experience where, like, I remember I try – I'm an actor as well as a writer, and I had an audition for Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. And I remember I had never read the script before and I read it to prep for it. And I immediately was like, I could never play this because while it's a beautiful script, that whole role is just constantly, this one person constantly being overstimulated or constantly just panicking throughout the show. And I'm like, I really want people to come into this and see like, yes, there are my experience of discomfort as a person on who's neurodivergent, but there's also a lot of beauty to it too. Like I want people to come in and see like just another aspect of this fairly human experience.
0: Hmm. (laughs) That, that, that just, that, that leaves me thinking a little bit. I, I've never correct me if I'm wrong. Let me know if I'm, I'm using the wrong terminology or anything here. You want your story, or your message, not to be like, I'm, special, different, or I'm, I'm the odd person out. See, I don't like that term. Uh, I'm the different person in the room. More you want to be like, I'm just like everyone else. I just have a different, I just bring something different to the table.
1: Yeah, I mean, because again, like using Curious Incident as an example, I feel like Christopher's character, and again, it's a beautiful play, but you kind of, if you're a neurotypical person, My thought is like you leave the theater and you think, oh, Christopher is autistic, where I want people to come to my show and see like my neurodivergency is only a part of who I am. There is a whole other thing that calculates into my existence. And so Exactly. There's more to it than that. Exactly. And like there's even like that whole – like I'm even only starting to learn about it now. Like that whole history of like quote unquote cripping up for a role – Like, Oh, I don't
0: know about this. Go on about this.
1: Well, just that's the term I've used, but it's like neurotypical or like able-bodied individuals like going into like a disabled person's role. Like Uh case in point, like there was a theater I've had a play of mine performed at and I recently was just looking at their Instagram and they were doing a play about, they're trying to, it's good intentions, bad execution where it's like, This plays, we're going to talk about like how this autistic individual was being vocal during a performance of The King and I and how we claim theater is inclusive, but it's really not. And then I go look at the cast member's bio and the person who is playing the autistic character is not neurodivergent. Mm -hmm. It's like, I also want to open this up as like, as a way for neurodivergent people to be able to tell our own stories. If you, if it's really important to you to market my story or my disability. If you're not comfortable having a person with that disability in the room, you need to rethink what shows you're telling.
0: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Someone put that on a poster somewhere. Um, But back to your show, the Untitled Oz Project. Um, How long have you been working on this?
1: So I originally, so my writer's group that I'm a part of we had originally planned on doing our first, because we started during the pandemic, and we'd been doing everything digitally, and we were like, let's do an in-person thing. We'll all have someone present a piece. It was supposed to happen in December, but unfortunately, just things panned out. So I really just kind of, like, speed wrote this in, like, a month, and now I'm just going back and, like, going through the first draft I have and being like, okay, what elements work, what elements don't. Cause like it's kind of a hybrid right now of like a one person show meets a stage play. But now I'm like, okay, maybe this isn't the most effective way of telling the story. Maybe we can try something like this. And so like, it's really just like, okay, we've written the story. Now we're going back and refining it.
0: That's fantastic. So it's really getting close to being ready to be on its feet and everything like that. I've had a couple of playwrights on recently and they, they say their favorite thing is when they hear their words in the actor's mouths and they go, Oh my gosh, I didn't hear it like that. No, I love that. you know, and Oh, I don't like it that way. And things like that. So, you know, oh, yeah,
1: I remember like I had a play go up and literally I went up to the actress after the reading. I was like, you played her better than I wrote her. And literally that's just, it's just one of those wonderful feelings. Cause again, one lesson that I'm kind of learning as a writer myself is to kind of have patience with the text because I'm just like, I feel like all artists are like we want we all are just racing to like get it on its feet we want the production but no it's something that you really have to take time and refine and even then the script is only the skeleton like you playwriting is so unique in that literally your work is designed to be interpreted and so like you kind of really have to leave room to factor that in as well so yeah it's really just been an experience of like and again that's also just theater in general like It is by nature, a collaborative process. So it's just really, you kind of, like you said, have to let other people get their hands on it.
0: Well, my final question for this part of the interview, I want to ask is who do you hope have access to your show?
1: Again, I just feel like it's, I feel like I really just want people to come in. Like, I don't necessarily want people to come into this thinking it's a gay story or, It's a neurodivergent story. I just want people to come in with an open mind and really just come in, be able to share my piece with the world and just, I know it's very generic, but just kind of leave a little bit differently than they did before. Like, I don't want this to necessarily be a niche interest. I generally want as many people to come and partake in this and kind of just really sit with, people that maybe they know, maybe they don't know, and just kind of share this human experience.
0: Well, I want to switch now to the second part of our interview, which is, you know, um, giving us the opportunity to introduce you a little bit more to our listeners. And I want to kick things off by asking you what shows, playwrights, uh, composers in the past
1: have inspired you. Well, I always have a joke that I literally tell everyone. It's like, I want every play to be done like Peter and the Starcatcher. Because to me, that is theater at its core. Like I, I always say you go to the movies if you want realism, but the theater is designed to be highly inventive and suspend your disbelief. Like I want heightened theatricality. I want things made from nothing. I want a bottle is suddenly a ship, things like that. Yeah. And to me, like Peter and the Catcher is one of those examples. But for me, I'm, I'm obsessed with Kate Hamill. Kate Hamill, if you're listening by any chance, I love you. You are my greatest inspiration as an actor and a writer because her work is just so gutturally theatrical at its core. Like, you cannot read a single one of her plays and imagine it in any other medium. Like, I actually recently just read her Emma that they did at the Guthrie, and literally it's just, she's just like a masterclass in adaptation because she takes these classic works that you know so well and really gets to the heart of them and finds the ways that really make them resonant now. And also at the same time, sets them at an 11. So it's just this super heightened sense of theatricality. And it's literally just the most wonderful thing to have that balance of like so incredibly zany and funny and nothing like we act like in real life. But also be so visceral and still playing the truth of what's at the core. And I just find that utterly fascinating.
0: I... Love that answer. And I love that you referenced Peter and the Starcatcher as what theater should be, because when we when we talked about that show, I mean, the one thing I said is, I feel like it was every element of what you imagine community theater, just like real theater, like grabbing anything you can and making it work and, and being like, this is now a tree or what have you, and everyone buying into it because everyone in that space believed it was a tree, and that's what theater is.
1: exactly. You know? that's what I really love about theater is that like, yes, there are pieces that are realism and that's fine and dandy. But for me, when I walk into a rehearsal space as an actor, as a writer, I'm there with the intent of creative problem solving. I want us all collaborate and like find those weird creative solutions. Like I want us to like, dig through a barrel of junk and be like, okay, this is our set. This is how we're gonna do this. Like, to me, that feels so much more impactful on an audience than just like, I don't know, putting everything on an LED screen.
0: Yes. I completely agree with that. Yes. So kind of building on that a little bit, I'm interested in this. Have you seen any great theater lately that you might be able to recommend?
1: Yes. I I actually recently, I got to see the one man Christmas Carol playing off broad, playing on Broadway right now. And let me tell you, that was the staging and the dynamicness of it. And again, creative problem solving. There were so many fascinating creative solutions within that show. And just like, even something so simple as like a lighting change for when we go from s- when the actor goes from Scrooge to Marley, I'm blanking on his name right now. Like it was like frightening. And it was just like so effective at what it was accomplishing. So yeah, if you get a chance to go see it this holiday season, go see a Christmas Carol. It's fabulous. Yeah, the maze. Yes, that's it. Thank you. Thank you. Yes.
0: <laughs> from from the Music Man to a Christmas Carol. Yep, I've heard oh. nothing but great things about that show,
1: so I'm excited to see it. Oh. I cannot speak highly enough of it. It was lovely, lovely. Amazing. What is your favorite part about working in the theater? Again, I feel like I kind of already answered this where just, again, kind of going in and like that creative problem solving, like you really kind of learn early on, like theater is like a team sport. Like you are not alone in any part of it. And so just all of us getting together and like, just, going through the script and then being like, okay, how are we doing this? Like, I utterly love it. And like nine times out of 10, the solution that you have not even, the solution is something so simple, but so oddly out there and just weird and wonderful. It just comes from someone else. And it's like, yes, this is it. Let's do this. And we just all kind of run with it. And again, I just love that kind of like fun, like, because, It's so funny because to me, I am very left-brained. Like when I think, hear the word problem solving, people always assume math and that's not me. To me, creative problem solving is all my jam. I love that.
0: Whereas I'm like, yay, math. (laughs) 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 Well, winding things down, I would love, I'm excited for this. I want to know what's your favorite theater memory?
1: So for me, I guess I would have to be so like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I was, I've been writing since I was in college. I had a very, so at my university, Adelphi, we had, for the theater program, we had a mentor program. And I got paired off with a lovely human. Her name is Nicole Henneveld. Shout out if you're listening. Thank you for getting me into all of this. And I've known her since high school, but I didn't realize she was a writer. And part of your senior thesis was, You could choose to, if you want to write a play. And she wrote this lovely play about Nell Gwynn. And I was like fascinated and I loved it. And I just started writing. And are you familiar with the Kennedy Center American College Theater Festival? Yes. So my sophomore year, it started as like a writing class assignment. I wrote this one act play called The Many Gay Adventures of Nicholas Laurenstein, which is basically if. Sherlock Holmes and Indiana Jones had a gay love child, and it was just this incredibly wonderful queer farce. And I wrote it and I submitted it, and I actually got into the new play program. So I got to have a reading of it, and just that whole experience of like those three days working on that script, and like this being like my first piece to like get produced, so-and-so. And like all these lovely individuals, like literally, I think we had a team of seven, including the actors, and only one of us was straight. And I'm like, this is incredible. I'm in a room full of gay people telling a gay story. This is fucking fabulous. And again, it was just that just kind of heightened like process of like, we have three days. Let's find the creative solutions. It's a reading, but let's find the funniest ways of doing this. And it was just so wonderful. And it really was like, this is it. This is what I want to be doing.
0: Oh, that's so wonderful. Oh, I love that memory. Thank you for sharing that. Of course. Are there any other projects or productions that you have that are coming down the pipeline that we might be able to plug? Well,
1: speaking of Nick Laurenstein, I have nothing, nothing like set for it now, but I love that piece. But I'm currently right now in the process of just looking at like venue spaces for rent because I'm determined this year I want to try and do a reading of it in time for pride. So yeah, stay tuned for that, I guess. Yes. Here's hoping
0: that we've got something to report back soon then. Ah, We hope. (laughs) And finally, if our listeners want to get more information about um, the untitled Oz project or about you, they want to reach out to you. How can they do that?
1: Well, if you want to check out my website, it's williamdmurer.wixsite.com because I keep putting off paying for the damn domain. Uh, you can reach out to me on Instagram. It's Billy underscore M 97 And also, you can check out my writers group that I work with. You're probably going to see a lot of my work produced through them. So that's AU Alumni Writers on Instagram.
0: William, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. This has been delightful. Yeah, this has been amazing. I cannot wait to see the Untitled Oz Project as it continues to grow and evolve. And I'd love to see, what was the name of the other one that you're hoping to have a reading by Pride?
1: Uh, The Many Gay Adventures of Nicholas Laurenstein. It is a mouthful.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I knew it. I knew Nicholas was in there. And I almost said the Harry Potter name, Nicholas Flamay or whatever it is. And so, well, that's not a, I'm looking forward to seeing that as well. So thank you so much for just, for sharing all this and talking with us. I can't wait to have you back on again to tell us more about what you're doing. I'm sure you're gonna have many, many more shows. So thank you. Well, thank you. My guest today has been playwright William Muir, whose current project is the Untitled Oz Project. And you can find out more about this and many other works that he has going on by visiting his website, williamdmuir.wixsite.com or by following him on Instagram at Billy underscore M97 or his writer's group at AU Alumni Writers. And we're going to have all of this information posted on our episode description, as well as our social media. So until next time,
1: If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe.
0: You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at StageWhisperPod.
1: And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at StageWhisperPod at gmail.com.
0: Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray.